Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined, as I am very frequently lately, by Rodney Evans. Hey, hey. Uh, On today's episode of our special series, Ready for Anything, we're going to talk about authority, second space in the OS Canvas. But before we unpack that, we're going to do our usual check-in round with a new question. We're going to use a new question. Uh, We're going to use a question that I used in all of my meetings yesterday. And I really suggest to all of you that you use it too, because we can all use a little bit of mood elevation and gratitude, especially (laughs) as we feel more and more disconnected in our houses from each other. So our check-in question for today is, what do you admire about someone else in this meeting? If you're facilitating the meeting, you might want to just go down the list, you know, of attendees since most people have different views on video. So as the facilitator, you might want to call it out or suggest that you go in alphabetical order so that it doesn't get totally wonky and everybody doesn't like everybody doesn't say something nice about Aaron and then no one says something nice about <laughs> someone else. So um so I'll start. Um something that I admire about Aaron uh just came up as we were setting up for this uh podcast, which is his precision in theory, he pointed out to me and was like a little bit uh, hesitant to point it out, but pointed out to me that in terms of complexity theory, we are actually all over. Uh, there are lots of chaotic moments. There are lots of complicated things. There, These events take all different shapes from the four areas of that model that we refer to. And so we should be careful about only talking complexity. And that is a very Aaron Dignan way <laughs> of being in the world, which I really appreciate the sort of sophistication and nuance that you lend to theory. Thank you, Rodney. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Re- make sure you check in with your Kinevan framework, folks. We're we're in chaotic, disordered, complex spaces interchangeably right now. And you can tell by how you feel in your chest. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, check in with yourself as a barometer for that. Um, okay. Admire. Uh, Easy, obvious first one for me is um, to admire about Rodney is you know yourself. And so you're very quick to like identify what you will and won't do, how you feel, what you need to say. There's a kind of like personal values driven precision about you that I think is at some in some moments intimidating, but usually just nice and helpful and clarifying. Thanks, Aaron. It's yeah. funny. We're we're very precise scholars of things. You of Kevin <laughs> and me of Rodney. Yes. The, yeah. <laughs> the mind and the heart. <laughs> I love it. 
So today's topic is going to be authority, as we said, and that's really just about looking at how we use and share power in the system in this moment of transition. So what's going to be the role of authority and what we believe and what we do in that space in this moment? And I wanted to start by just asking you, why is that important as a bunch of people are suddenly working from home with, you know, toddlers in their laps and cats on their laps? And I don't know what else goes on laps. <laughs> I don't know. Ho- hopefully that's it. So in this moment that does feel somewhat chaotic a lot of the time, Things that used to be done by influence and politicking and collaboration and in all of these less formalized ways are really hard to do now that we're trying to be working in different ways. Sometimes that means remotely. Sometimes that means with different tooling. It's Mm. taking all different shapes and forms and things that used to just sort of happen. Now people are like, wait, can I do that without talking to anyone? Or like, do we have a policy around that? Mm. Do we need a policy around that? And I'm seeing both sides of that equation. So um, on the one hand, we have leaders who are saying, what kind of decision rights do we need to clarify that people have so they can do their roles? And then on the other side of things, we have humans out in the world who are just trying to get their jobs done and are going like, am I allowed to just like T&E, a new monitor, because I've never had one of those at home, and I've never needed one of those at home, and there's no policy. Like It's just, it's all really messy right now, and those things that would have been solved more easily just through informal conversation now require a little bit of scaffolding um, so that they don't just slow us down. It's really interesting to me that you pointed out, I hadn't thought of the fact that the informal stuff, right? Like we always talk about different power structures and their, you know, formal role-based power structures. But there's also a lot of um, people wandering around, talking to others, checking in, kind of the the water cooler effect of managing authority and of managing mm-hmm. what people need. And that's gone now, or at least it's a lot harder to do. I mean, I can't imagine going quote unquote door to door in Zoom <laughs> to try to like right. round up some kind of information. It's just going to be yeah, so so in a way, we need to be able to operate more independently, mm-hmm. and that's obviously where where authority gets really important. So, what do we need to define then? Like, what are we missing that we don't have in in a traditional environment that is now suddenly you know trying to be more decentralized? What is it? Well, a few things come to mind immediately, and we also have gotten some questions about this from the world. So we'll dive into those too. One is what decisions can we make alone? What decisions can our team make and what decisions must we get external approval for? And just to make this really easy for people who haven't done this kind of work before, I just pulled open a little uh, Trello board that we used with a client to look at some labels here. So if you want to get together with your team on a Zoom call and try to do this work today... Here are some categories of decisions that you're probably going to want to articulate. Okay, these are the things that I can do alone. These are the things that my team can do together. These are the things that we have to ask for approval around. So they're going to be things like hiring our staffing, customer service questions, how much can I spend, what can I resolve, et cetera. Um, Project delivery, who's setting deadlines, who's deviating from deadlines, Etc. Um, compensation in this moment, I'm hearing talk of hazard pay and shift pay and mm. overtime questions. 
at your team's level or your manager's level? Can you decide that? Or is that something that has to be run up the chain? Questions around forecasting or at the end of Q1, who is actually looking at reforecasting and rebudgeting for the future? And then the cultural <laughs> questions, which is probably the biggest basket right now of like, did we all just throw like dress policies and tool policies and like which policies do we just throw out the window because like who the F knows and which ones do we actually need to retain and which ones can we create new ones for ourselves? So those are just some quick hit categories that you guys can use to start parsing. Are there decisions that fall into these that we're really unclear about that people are spending precious hours in the day trying to figure out whether they can say yes or no to? That's great. By the way, listeners, you may have noticed that uh, Rodney said F instead of the F-bomb. I did Uh, for the first time ever. We're doing our best to make this particular mini-series clean so that you can be listening to it at home because you're all at home with your your families. With your children. When normal life resumes, (laughs) you you can better believe we're coming back hot. Yeah, I think um, it's your duty as parents to teach them to curse. I don't feel like I should be <laughs> responsible for your children's education in that way. That's right. That's right. So the the thing I was going to add to what you were saying um, before my little digression was there's also the decision stack that I talk about a lot in in meetings mm-hmm. and, and sessions on this that kind of pairs well with your list of stuff, which is basically at the very bottom, this concept of the waterline, which comes from W.L. Gore, where we talk about, all right, um, If we get a hole in the boat below the waterline, the boat sinks and we all drown. If we get a hole above the waterline on the boat, we can just patch it when we get back to shore. And so that model basically gives us a way of framing a decision to say this decision type, if we make it wrong, what happens? If we Mm -hmm. make it right, what happens? If we kind of make it sort of wrong, what happens? And basically what they've done and what I think we mostly advocate for is if it's above the waterline, especially in this moment, let's just say like, just do it. Like, just do it. And if we're wrong, we'll steer, we'll turn, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. And if it feels like it's close to the waterline or below the waterline in risk, then let's, let's take a different approach. And so there's a few different versions of that different approach. Um, one is to isolate that decision right within a role. So being like, oh, yeah, the VP of finance is going to make that kind of decision mm-hmm. right now. Um, another would be to let anyone make the decision, but only with advice. So using an advice process like so many of our cases do, where you basically have to check in with people who have either made similar decisions before or who will be affected by your decision and get their advice. You don't have to take it, but you have to listen to it. And they have to sort of be comfortable with you doing what you're going to do. You can put those two together and have a role with a mandatory advice process. So this role is going to change the, you know, dress code policy, but only with advice from a handful of members. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can have a decision that is made only through consent, which is effectively what maybe most people would think of as by committee. But uh, it's not just by committee. It's by a group of roles or individuals or a team that holds the decision right. But they make it with the lens of, is this safe to try? Not, do we love it? Not, is it perfect? Not, is it consensus? So those are kind of different ways of formulating a decision right that you can then pair with Rodney's list and be like, all right, cool, monitor, buying a monitor. Above or below the waterline for us right yep. now. And by the way, that depends, right? Like if you're a restaurant who has $200 in the bank right now, might be totally below the waterline. Yeah. Um, but if you're, you know, Microsoft, probably above the waterline still. Yeah. So that's that. And then how do we want to root it, right? And and if it's below, do we want to make it connected to a role? Do we want to make it connected to advice? So you can do that right down the list of your decisions 
in not that much space of time, if you get together and you're kind of open and fluid about this and have a rough draft of a decision rights template in, I don't know, an hour, mm-hmm. two hours, something mm-hmm. like that. If you're not, sure. you're not, you know, hanging on every word as people do, you know, when things are normal. Yeah. And the couple of pro tips around decision rights for people who haven't done them before. Uh, one is most decisions, even right now, most decisions are going to be fairly evident to us and fairly obvious. Don't spend a lot of time on those. Definitely mm-hmm, apply the 80-20 mm-hmm. rule to this. So as a team, uh, look at the things that you're really like, not having an answer to this is slowing me down. What is present now? What is present now? So focus in on the 20%. Incidentally, that's also going to be true when you do this work more broadly when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. It's easy to get hung up on trying to catalog or create a complete inventory of the decisions we make. It's really unnecessary. We really just want to zero in on the things that are murky. And usually murky is between people or between teams. So shore up the role level ones where there's friction, shore up the inter-team level ones where there's friction. Mm -hmm. That's usually where the mess happens. The second pro tip, and this is really important, is most people I work with don't actually know what a decision is. So a decision right is not budgeting. A decision right is the choice that you are making. So within the budgeting category, if we've decided that there are things that are below the waterline, what are those things specifically? A choice you could make is approving Mm reforecasts. Another choice that you could make is adding a a certain percentage to the budget or shaving a certain percentage to the budget or within that reallocation of an existing budget. These are actual choices. Mm -hmm. Be sure if you do this work that everything that you catalog or that you agree to as a team is not a category, but an actual choice. Right. Like what time does work start for me today? Yes. a choice. That is a choice. Yes. Love it. Love it. And it's interesting to me to think about the fact that um, a lot of this is going to happen on the fly. And so one of the other things I think in the last episode, I mentioned something that, you know, a leader could do in this moment or manager could do in this moment to sort of level set the act as if framework. Another one we can say is go make tension. Yeah. So we've talked about this before on the show, you know, go make decisions that you think are above the waterline. If it freaks somebody else out, if it freaks me out, We'll call a quick Zoom meeting and we will uh, reevaluate that decision, right? And so, like, I would say, unless things are really dire, and if they are, you should tell people so they have the information and can make smarter decisions, but go buy that monitor mm-hmm. and then tell everybody you did and then say, if this was the wrong call, could I be the host of the next decision rights meeting where we fix that so that on the fly, we're dealing with what's happening. So you're doing two things at once there. One, you're empowering people with the information they have to just go execute and operate in service of purpose, like we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. And you're you're making space for anybody that notices something risky happening to say, you know, it'll happen once, but then we're going to tamp it down or we're going to get smart about how we handle that uh, kind of decision. And the best part about this is it connects with what you were just saying, which is it keeps it in the present, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not decisions that we're imagining we might need to make. These are all going to be decisions people are actively making. And then we might be reconsidering based on the tension they create. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a clue, everybody, uh, or a hint, nine times out of 10, nobody's going to notice or care. 
It's right. just going to be like, great, let's keep, let's keep operating because it's just not that important. You know, yeah. if I start at eight or eight 30, uh, as long as my team members know when I plan to start and why, who cares? Yes. Which reminds me that when you are doing that work, decision rights often come in two flavors. One is the decision of creating the thing, like who gets to decide what our default working hours are. And the other is who can deviate from them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's where things like tolerances come into play. But uh, I just want to say out loud, it is okay if as you're doing this work, you see that. So yes. if we say the decision rate is any member of this team can spend up to $1,000 over the next 30 days to get what they need to work from home, and the manager holds the decision rate to deviate by 50% in right. the case that it's needed, that's a cool decision rate. Because now yeah, I yeah. know, okay, I can spend up to $1,000, but if I need an extra 500 I need to ask for it. Yep, yep. That makes perfect sense. The other thing that this dovetails really well into is a question that came in from a listener, which is around delegating authority cleanly. So mm -hmm. how can we use this crisis and this moment to speed up decision making? And so I think we should talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So to me... Um, there are two different ways to approach this delegation, which I think is sort of a, a more common word, but I think a more dangerous practice and actual sort of, um, uh, distributed authority. Right. Mm -hmm. And so delegation to me always feels a little bit time limited and a little bit tied to the person that did it with some form of review or control. Mm. And a true distribution of authority is like, no, this is the this is where the authority lives now. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can change that is collectively. Um, and so I would say, yeah, you know, if you want to play the delegation game, you can. And that looks like, oh, you know, for this week, go buy a computer. Like I'm delegating that authority to you to pick one or I'm delegating this project to you to, to complete and bring back to me for approval. Um, you know, that's, that's how that works. But to me, that always limits potential because it keeps people focused on what other people are going to want or how they're going to want it done. Like you're still out of your agency when someone delegates to you and you know, you have to circle back and kind of be beholden to their take on that thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's much more interesting to be like, uh, Sam, the newsletter is yours. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you're never checking back in with me again until we as a system decide that we're taking it away from you. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, it is yours. It is your property. Um, or this decision right is collective and it's now owned by the collective. And so to change it, we would change it together. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is, is a differentiation. But I'm curious what you think when you look at that question. What that question brings up to me is rather than as leaders or managers focusing on what you can delegate or even the authority that you can distribute just ask your employees what authority they need. Mm, so yeah. I'm a really big fan. Right now, we're all trying to be helpful, but also paternalistic and decide what everybody needs in order to do their <laughs> jobs properly. And I'm like, you know what makes that easier? Just ask people. Like, right. just rather than saying, like, does everybody need this particular piece of technology or does everybody need to wear jeans or whatever, whatever we're debating today, just ask people what they need right now to do their jobs yes. in these circumstances. And then 
uh, decide whether they can just make those decisions in perpetuity because those needs are going to change tomorrow <laughs> or not. And uh, and I think that rather than delegating authority, delegate the thinking and the requesting to the people that you work with and that you lead and make it clear to them that your job is to get them as much as they need in terms of power, in terms of support, in terms of infrastructure right now. And if anything, design the forum or the format or the place for people to come and get what they need and make those requests so that they can be effective. What I love about that is that it really dovetails with our general theory of transformation, which is what's stopping you from doing the best work of your life? That's mm -hmm. the question. It's the only question you ever need. And so, yeah, asking it in this moment, it might be, what do you need to, to weather this? But it's still fundamentally the same thing, which is putting the agency for the thinking about what matters and what to change and what to work on in the hands of the many. So that seems like a, a, a poetic place to stop for today. <laughs> Rodney, thanks for doing this almost every day now. This is, uh, we're fast and furious. <laughs> we sure are. Um, quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good, as he always does, uh, from a closet and from his home studio at this point, I'm sure. Uh, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Man, uh, the work is interesting these days, people. One of these episodes, we're going to have to talk about like what we're seeing on the front lines more. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. Send us your questions, things you want us to address later in this series. And if you like what you're hearing, drop a review, share with a friend. Uh, it's definitely a moment where we want to reach the people that need this. Um, there's a lot of folks grappling with this, and, and uh, anything we can do to help is, is uh, important. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.